0: This is Gramercy, the podcast that highlights the stories of those who live and work on the margins of society. I'm your host, Corey Malad. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. Welcome to Season 1. This season highlights the stories of immigrants and refugees from all around the world, as well as some organizations that work with and for these beautiful people. If you've ever wondered what difference one person can actually make in the world, you will be encouraged and inspired by my guest today, Frank Anello, the co-founder of Project Worthmore in Denver, Colorado. He's just a regular guy with an admittedly not so perfect track record who found where he belonged. It just so happened that where he belonged was with immigrants and refugees. It was as much a surprise to him as anybody. His love for the other drove him and his wife, Carolyn, to create a beautiful community in Denver that they called Project Worthmore. Even after 10 years of creating positive change in the community, it just keeps growing and including more and more people. Project Worthmore truly does reinforce the worth and value of each immigrant and refugee while they're learning to navigate their way in this new country. They do this not only through offering English classes on site, but a dental clinic as well. They also partner with Denver Urban Gardens by maintaining Delaney Community Farm, which supports refugees through sustainable agriculture and community building. This farm and its sister food share program not only provide jobs for refugees and immigrants, but also food for the entire community. The thing that I love so much about doing this podcast is meeting all the beautifully unique people there are in this world. Every story truly does matter. By listening, I'm learning. By listening, I'm telling people that they matter. By listening, I'm breaking down the barriers we all set up around us to keep us safe from vulnerability. I'm in effect saying your story is safe with me. I will respect it and you because there is no them, just us. So sit back and relax as Frank shares his story, which also turns out to be the story of Project Worthmore. Thank you, Frank, for Mm -hmm. being with me today. I'm so thankful for your graciousness and taking time out of your day, running an entire organization to take the time Mm -hmm. to explain about it to me. Sure. um, My guest today is Frank Anello. He is from the Project Worthmore. And um, I'm gonna give you time to tell me all about your organization okay. in just a little bit, but before yeah. we start, I want to hear the most important answer, which is who is your favorite superhero uh-huh. and why?
1: All right, my so I've never been one to uh, be into superheroes, but when I when I saw that at the top of the list, I was like, my superhero definitely has to be my wife. Oh, that's um, beautiful. And and it's true. Um, we've been together twenty five years, married twenty three years. And just the type of person she is and the things that she's overcome in her Mm -hmm. short 43 years of life, it's kind of mind-blowing. She's an inspiration to me, for sure.
0: That is just the most beautiful tribute. And you were the first person to say that your wife is your superhero. (laughs) And it makes me admire you all that much more. Okay. well, I'd love to know a little bit about your background, like sure. how you grew up and where, your yeah. schooling and previous jobs. Sure. Uh, how did your background lead you to where to you where are now? To yeah, there.
1: Yeah. so I was born and raised in Tampa, Florida, and uh, raised, raised Catholic and went to Catholic school all the way from kindergarten through my senior year. And then after that, I met Carolyn, my wife, roughly when I was 21 and she was 18, We were in completely different paths in our and where we are now. Like we were into like club and bar scene and just into alcohol and just all those things that I not to categorize, but a lot of people do at that Mm -hmm. age in their life. And um, so yeah, I met Carolyn and um, I was ready for a change. And um, my mom was uh, worked for a legal uh, law firm. They worked with a lot of low-income people. Um, she wasn't a lawyer, but she was like a legal assistant. Mm-hmm. And then my dad was, was a bailiff. Prior to that, he worked in the jail as a corrections officer. Mm-hmm. Um, and he retired from the um, sheriff's department in Tampa, Florida. And I have a sister who's about six years older than me, also went, works for the corrections facility in Tampa, wow. doing okay. like uh, administrative intake and things of that sort. Mm-hmm. Um, but growing up, my mom was someone who always um, served people, always would um, help people, um, through the Salvation Army, through her work. is something that she kind of in, instilled in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, like I said, I met Carolyn. We left Tampa and we moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee in 1996. And that's where she was from. And I was just ready for a change. I would grown mm-hmm. up in Florida and mm-hmm. I was kind of burned down on living there. I didn't really feel like there was much more opportunity for myself. Mm-hmm. And then went to Tennessee with the intention on going to college and just getting away from the bar life, the drinking life, yeah. and all my friends, and really just kind of starting a new chapter.
0: And sometimes moving away is a good catalyst for yeah, that, isn't Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And it was hard at first, even though it was just eight hours away, like by car uh-huh. um, from Florida to Tennessee. But I was the only one, like we have a pretty large extended family, um, Spanish and Italian heritage. Um, and um, so I was the only one that decided to leave. So it was difficult at first, but um, I ended up not even getting into college. I just i, I got a job through a temporary service uh, working for a printing company. Next thing I know, four years later, that's where I was. And mm-hmm. I, I never went to school. I just got this job and worked really long hours. Worked a graveyard shift from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Oh, for about four years. And Carolyn went to uh, Chattanooga State in Chattanooga, Tennessee to get her. Um, associates. And at that point we were messing around with the idea of what church would look like again. You go to the Adventist church and they'd be looking at me differently because I have a lot of tattoos. And then I'd go back to Florida and my parents would be, my dad would be like, if you're going to church with me on Sunday, I want you to wear a long sleeve shirt. and So I just really turned mm, off by yeah. both of those and it kind of left a bad taste in my mouth for church. Yeah. So I just kind of put that on the shelf and what ended up happening was The four years of living in Tennessee, working at this place, the same thing happened. I got into drinking and drugs and whatnot, and the same thing kind of just followed me. So then I had a good friend move to um, Colorado and uh, while I was living in Tennessee, and I came out to visit him, and I was like, man, I got to live there. That's where I want to live. It's just beautiful, Mm -hmm. outdoors, Four Seasons. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm a big um, long-distance runner, and I was like, it's a great place. So I ended up going back after a 10 day trip and telling Caroline we should move to Colorado and Mm -hmm. she trusted me and we moved about a year later. And so we landed here in 2000. I got a job in a printing company because I had the four years experience, so I Mm -hmm. got a job doing that. And I ended up just not enjoying it anymore. and Carolyn uh, got a job at an Outback Steakhouse while she was going to school. Her boss had said, you know, he was a big runner, so somehow she connected us. You know, she was working there, she was um, in school um, at CU Denver. So all of a sudden I'm running with her boss and complaining about how bad I hate the printing job and Mm -hmm. he offered me a job. He's like, why don't you come wait tables? I'm like, man, I'm 26. I probably should go to college. But, all right, I'll give it a shot. I don't know if waiting tables starting at 26 or so next thing I know five years goes by. Were, uh, were your parents
0: giving you pressure, like, for education? Or were oh, you my, doing that no, my parents,
1: i not get to that. My parents okay. gave me pressure constantly okay. of what are you going to do with yourself. Um, yeah. Your sister got her college degree. She's been working for the sheriff department. Your cousins all have, and, you know. there's constant pressure to mm. what, how are you gonna support a family? When are you gonna have mm-hmm. a family? Mm-hmm. Always just, that was always, and it was mainly coming from my dad. Mm. Um, so it was really hard. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's like nothing was ever good enough. And you know what happened um, was, you can see a pattern. So Florida was drugs, alcohol. Mm-hmm. Tennessee, drugs and alcohol followed me. Mm-hmm. Colorado, same same thing happened again. You can't escape things.
0: Yeah, you have to face them. You gotta face
1: them. You can't just like, all right, I'm gonna go here. They're gonna catch. They're gonna follow you until you deal with it.
0: That's the truth. And
1: that's what Mm -hmm. I learned. Um, But it took me a long time to figure that out. So I left. uh, You know, after five years at Outback Steakhouse, Um, I'm also hardcore vegan. Mm -hmm. Uh, I got a job at a vegan vegetarian restaurant called Watercourse Foods. Started working there. I uh, remember sitting next to this kid at the bar. His name's Caleb Williams, who is. Someone whom I always speak highly of, who really helped change the direction of my life. He was sitting at he he was an employee, and he was sitting at the bar after work at the restaurant. He was drinking a beer. He's tattooed. And he's reading the Bible. And I was like, man, what the heck is this? Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't something that I I'm used to. Like, hey, put a shirt cover your arms. Da 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 da. You don't do this. You don't drink. You don't eat meat. You don't drink caffeine. Mm-hmm. Like, all these rules. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so he just started. We just started talking. Probably took a year after that um, where Carolyn and I decided um, that we would visit a church. Mm -hmm. We had our first daughter who had Livia at this time. And once we had Livia, that's when it was a no-brainer for me that I was. there was no drugs were done.
0: That's awesome. So I
1: shut that off um, pretty quickly as soon as we had Livia. She's 15 now. Mm -hmm. But it took us a year to finally go to the church that they asked us to go to. It was just different to me. I mm-hmm. felt accepted. I didn't feel like I had to hide anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the church started working with refugees. Small groups were all going to start working with the refugee family in a mentorship program through Lutheran Family Services. Okay. Yeah. And um, so we were assigned the first family from Burma. Our small group leader, named Marco Williams, told me, You're going to lead our group to help this family, like coordinate, mm-hmm. like how we're going to help them mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. get our team activated and things like that. And I was like, okay.
0: No idea, no experience. I don't know but what's going on here.
1: I had to start researching like Burma, where's Burma? i never heard of Burma. Mm-hmm. Refugees in our city, what's going on? Mm-hmm. We ended up meeting this family. Half the team went to the airport. The other half the team went to um apartment complex. Also at this time, I had re-enrolled at Community College of Denver um, because I was... Was I 32, 33 at the time? And I was like, okay, I'm ready to go back to school. Mm -hmm. I want to be a nurse. Carolyn's become a dental hygienist. We have a daughter. We're pregnant with our second. Um, And we want to travel across the world to serve people. So I'm like, I could be a nurse. She could be a hygienist. We could do this together. It works, yeah. Then all of a sudden, refugees enter my life.
0: And that took everything very different. Everything,
1: like I started... I. Went to meet this family. Like I said, there was a part of the team picked them up at the airport, and then the other part of the team uh, was at the apartment getting it ready and for mm-hmm. to welcome mm-hmm. them. And um, I pulled in the apartment complex that day. There was a two-year-old in a diaper in a grocery cart, pushed up against a garbage dumpster in the middle of the parking lot with two probably four or five-year-olds playing inside the dumpster. And I was like, "Whoa, what is this going on mm. here?" How have I lived here for eight years? How mm-hmm. have I driven up and down East Colfax and just seen all these people just driven by like they were just yeah. nothing? Yeah. Um, and this is what it took. So the family shows up. Uh, case manager from Lutheran walks in and we, she kind of introduces us. She speaks Burmese. They speak Burmese and introduces us. This is, this family's going to help you. They have a team of people. Mm-hmm. And that was it. She left. And it was like, here we are made them their first meal which now I look back and it didn't take them long to get comfortable with me and realize that I'm sorry we, we you don't know like that first meal you made us was really horrible oh, we no. don't we don't eat brown rice uh, no. we eat white rice <laughs> yeah. it was another learning curve like exactly. I had no idea like oh. I'm trying to force what I think is right mm-hmm. onto them um, it's a like,
0: huge learning curve when meeting people from other countries. It's a learning
1: curve and, um, and you I have to mean, be
0: willing to be called out on something. Yes, yeah. you can't let your pride get in the way, no. can you?
1: No. So after that first meeting, um, I was like, man this is awesome. These people are great. There was many different refugees living in that apartment complex and um, I just started going every day. Every single day I would go. Mm-hmm. Um, and visit with them and spend time with them and help them get to their appointments and help their case manager, like, take them to their Social Security appointment to go take them to their, get their Medicaid cards. And
0: and how did you deal with the language barrier?
1: Ah, oh, man. It wasn't hand... an
0: issue for you? Oh,
1: it, it was, but it was just more lots of hand gestures and, like, trying to figure things out. Because and...
0: that right there alone keeps a lot of people from even acting. Yeah. So I love that you went outside of your comfort zone. You're around people yeah. completely different from you. Yeah, we don't speak the same language, but it sounds like you were all in. Oh, right I there.
1: was I was all in. I was like, man, the world is here. Like, I don't need to go anywhere. And mm-hmm. there are people. Mm-hmm. At that time, there was a lot of different groups from Burma. There was a lot of different people from Nepal um, and Somalia all living at this complex. And I was like, the smells of the food. Like, when you would go to visit, you'd just smell all these different foods. And you'd see clothes hanging outside. You felt like you yeah. were somewhere else other than Denver. Yes. Um, or Aurora and that just lit me up. I was like wow this is so great. Mm-hmm. Sitting on the floor like trying to learn English and like mm-hmm. watching someone wash their clothes in the bathtub and then hang them up outside. Just all these different things that were just so different to me. It was different to them and that we were trying to figure this stuff out together. I was trying mm-hmm. to learn from them. They were trying to learn from me. And I started skipping class all the time, uh-huh. so I ended up stopping college. And you know, I was like, I'm not gonna do that. This is what I'm gonna do. So every Monday, I, I mean, I created this really horrible flyer <laughs> called Project DR. Stands for Denver Refugees. It was black and white. I printed it on um, my um, printer at home, and uh, it was a picture of my daughter and the little girl from Burma that we were helping, holding mm-hmm. hands. And it was just bad. It was real bad. And it's like, we're collecting, uh-huh. we're collecting warm clothes and blankets and like food. And like we're helping families learn English. And if you're interested, email me. Mm-hmm. And I just remember this guy. His name was Ted Engelman. Now, mm-hmm. I look back 10 years ago. And I got an email from him. And he's like, hey, I picked up one of these flyers at a coffee shop that you had dropped. And uh, I'd like to meet with you and talk to you about it can help you out because there's a lot of stuff that's wrong with it and I think I can help you and I was just like my (laughs) reaction was really like I'm trying to do something good and all you can do is point out the wrong Uh things uh so I took offense to it anyway Caroline and I went and met with him had coffee and he ended up being this great guy and kind of gave us some tools to help us out so that was like the beginning of Project Worthmore and we just started recruiting Friends through, because at that time I was working in the restaurant, I was managing the restaurant and was connecting like servers who Mm -hmm. I was connecting. I'm just, I'm a connector. Um, That is a gift of mine. Yeah,
0: it sounds like Uh, you're a very big people person. I am a
1: huge people person. Okay, was a huge uh, gift. That was my mom um, right there, all my mom. Really? And um, so, yeah, I just started connecting people and like, hey, on Monday nights we're going out to this apartment complex and we're going to help families learn English. And I'm like, I don't know how to teach English, but we had an um, Oxford Picture Dictionary mm-hmm. that was given to us, and we went out there, and every Monday night, we did it for like two years. We um, mm-hmm. take a group and laid on on apartment floors, and we practiced greetings, like when someone knocks on your door, yeah. and practice when you open the door, and we still yeah. have video of that stuff, and like, um, then we took the kids into a separate apartment, and we did homework help, and played board games, and...
0: I love that so much. And I it was just
1: very simple, practical things. Mm-hmm. Um, and my home became a thrift store. My garage mm-hmm. was completely full of bags of clothes, mm-hmm. and furniture, food, and it was a thrift store. It was our place of um, where people would come um, for help.
0: And I that's. Love that, I love that you just started. Doing it. You see a need, you just start doing, and there's no right way to do it. It's yeah. the way that you take your gifts and your abilities and your resources and you put them where they need, where you see the need. I think that is so beautiful. I think the right way or following procedure gets in the way of so many people yeah. helping. I love your heart in this, and I love that you just, I don't know how to teach, but I know how to speak English, so I'm yeah. going to go help. Yeah. It's
1: beautiful. And, it, and that approach has gotten us where we are today. Spending time with people, you start to see what their needs are mm-hmm. and how their needs might be different from this group over here's needs. Mm-hmm. You start to see what barriers are in place. Um, you start to see what agencies are doing well, what they're not doing well, what what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. And then you start to try and do things a little differently. I think you have to have a good ear and patience to understand what people need and then do everything you can to provide those things for them. I think there's a lot of organizations that hands are tied because mm-hmm. it's really easy to apply for funding. So many organizations are tied to funding, and it yes. prevents you from really doing necessarily what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all these restrictions, and we've done it a different way that's been really difficult and hard, uh, but at the same time allows us the freedom um, to take care of people who might have been here over the five-year mark because the resettlement yes. agencies can yes. only help people five years and under. And the reality is is that there are people, there are single moms um, that have six, seven kids that mm-hmm. have come here from Somalia mm-hmm. um, or from Burma, the remote jungle, mm-hmm. um, who have no husband and they're going to need help over five years. Yes. And um, and we need to be able to provide that help to them.
0: So that's your niche. Uh, you take people after We take them at any,
1: at any point, from first day Good. to 10, 15 years. I'm so glad. They're here at four years, and then we don't see them again for three, and all of a sudden they need services again, then come on back. There is that's no, great. I'm sorry, we can't help you because we don't have funding for that.
0: So it doesn't sound like there's a lot of red tape in your organization. No,
1: I want to eliminate red tape. Good. 100%. Good. Uh, red tape does no one any good. It
0: doesn't. It no. allows you to hide behind the rules or hide behind the law. I yeah. can't do it because uh, the, rules, yeah. say the rules say this. The rules say this, and is these really people in, at, behind
1: this desk created these rules, and they have no idea. Yeah. They don't do life with these people, yeah. and like that's what I always like yeah. to say. I do life with people.
0: That's a beautiful like, way to describe. I it. just
1: do life with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I do life with my clients. I do life with my group of friends, mm-hmm. like my church. We just. I like to do life together. Um, 2011, I went to an art exhibit in, in Boulder, and it was from an organization called Partners Relief and Development. They focused and did a lot of work in Burma, um, mm-hmm. and they were here in the States doing a tour about mm-hmm. what the, what their work was and fundraising and things. Mm-hmm. So I ended up meeting the CEO and the founder, his name was Steve Gumer, who ended up being a huge inspiration to me. Um, that Before the end of the night, he's like, you should come to Burma with me. I mean, this was 2000, 2010, late mm-hmm. 2010. Project Worthmore was not even an official non-profit yet. We were, I was telling him we we're in the wow. process of doing this. Yeah. This is what we're doing. Yeah. So he invited me. Um, let's see. I went in November of 2011 or 2010, and then 2011 we became a f- official non-profit. Um,
0: I cannot imagine what stepping off the plane in Burma did to you, how it just changed everything. It was really... So putting yourself in your clients or your friends, however you refer to them, yeah. their, shoe, your, their shoes. Now you have the same pictures in your head that they do. And yeah. And you have the same tastes and the smells and all and, of that thing.
1: And I felt really bad, to be honest with you. I, you know, i traveled to Costa Rica and Mexico and that was extent to my travels. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was something about spending all this money to go to a refugee camp was hard for me. And it didn't, it didn't hit me until I was there. Until so I was sitting in the passenger seat of the truck driving into the camp, camera around my neck. This is strange to me. Like mm. these people can't leave, and here I am mm-hmm. with a three thousand dollar camera hanging around my neck, trying to come in here and take some pictures and understand the experience. Yeah. By
0: strange, did you do you meet do you? I didn't you feel guilty. I felt
1: guilty. Yeah, I did. We were hosted by a group that took care of us. I ended up going back there multiple years, mm-hmm. but the same group hosting us. But I came back about a week before Thanksgiving,
0: mm.
1: and that was hard. I imagine. <laughs>
0: excess food. Absolutely. Uh-huh. I
1: remember having all these people over at our house for Thanksgiving, going to the bedroom and just crying. And I was like, this isn't right. Like, I, where I just came from, and like, look at this. Look, uh-huh. at, this. look at this abundance that we have. Yeah. But I just realized that's just the cards that were dealt. Yeah. And I can't feel guilty about it. But I can do something. Mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. totally do something to make sure that when people come here, that they have the best opportunity that they can have. Mm-hmm. Um, so inviting people to our home. We had so many refugees and still to this day that come to our home on a regular basis awesome. to have meals and to do life together. Yeah, and, yeah. there's uh, no line no, of
0: delineation. No, there isn't. No. That's something that so many people who have traveled to poor foreign countries suffer, is that guilt I come home and what's all this? Mm-hmm. Why? How does all of this stuff matter when I've seen people actually suffering? We can't claim suffering. I mean, in, in this context, right? Mm-hmm. We have everything at our fingertips. Yeah. That is a huge mental battle. And I love how you, how you handled that. You didn't go down that spiral. It seems that you put that emotional energy into really making a difference, changing the way people mm-hmm. view refugees and changing how you interact with them.
1: Absolutely. And... Um, 2011, we became a nonprofit again. Still doing everything out of my home. I'm still working in restaurants. We had our second child in 2008, um, and then I um, also got a job coaching cross country. I'm a big long distance runner, like I said. Mm-hmm. Um, so my day from I did that for two years. I did it 2011 and 2012. So my day consisted of helping families during the day while um, having two kids. Driving out to Highlands Ranch, coaching until 6 p.m., then coming home and working at a restaurant till 1 o'clock in the morning. Oh my and I did that goodness. for, I don't know, from 2011 uh, for two years. And in 2012, my wife and I and our two kids decided to go back to Burma on our own, and this time as a family. So our kids were 7 and 3. Um, and spend a month there, and we took a ton of dental equipment, and we were going to do dental work along the border in the refugee camps where I'd gone the previous year. Mm-hmm. How um, did your
0: How did your kids handle that? Oh,
1: they loved it, man. Yeah, because the it.
0: world is wide open to children; like oh, they yeah. can adapt and adjust so quickly. Oh, they, That's beautiful. It I'm was, glad you took them so young.
1: It was so imbo- important to me, and they were in great hands. Like uh-huh. Carolyn. I know she did all the work. She was the hygienist, so she did all the work all day long. And uh-huh. I was kind of her assistant and photographer and videographer of everything that we were doing. And our kids, most of the time, we had no idea where they were. They were off with some village <laughs> woman playing and yeah. with the kids. And I had pictures of my kid being pulled down a dirt road, sitting on a banana leaf, a huge banana oh, leaf, and just funny. pulling them around and just making do with what was there and having mm-hmm. fun, just being kids. Mm -hmm. so that was really cool and a great opportunity for them and then when we came back my wife's um, dental practice that she was working at um, Cherry Hills Dental, um, we realized they were getting ready to move and relocate after 30 some years. Carolyn came home and she's like, I have an idea, I think after being in Burma and doing this dental we should really think about um, starting our own dental clinic with Project Worthmore. I think it would be a great opportunity to provide care um, as well as provide opportunity, f- possibly, for refugees to get employment um, and mm-hmm. to create a, a, a different source of income for the organization that mm-hmm. we're starting to build instead of trying to be so relied on foundation money mm-hmm. and things of that mm-hmm. sort. Again, this is all at the beginning, if in stages, of trying to figure this thing out. So we pitched the idea to to the three uh, dentists. So we went out to, to dinner and said, hey, we have this idea, we want to do this. and. Carol submitted a letter to them, and they said, okay. So they donated two dental chairs. um, You never know
0: unless you ask, right? Yeah, and they (laughs) donated the
1: chairs, they donated x-ray equipment, they donated lighting, compressors, vacuums, everything we needed. We had no business plan. We had no idea. We just had this Mm -hmm. vision of what we wanted Mm -hmm. to do. And at that time, that was like 2013, we had finally moved into a little office um, out of our home. Um, through some donations that we had collected. We started teaching English in a classroom in this office, but it was a classroom that can only fit seven students because it was small. It was Mm -hmm. tiny. But I felt so happy. I was like, all right, not doing this at home. We're not doing it on apartment floors. It's legit. It's legit, Mm -hmm. but it didn't have any heat. So we were like, all right, how are we going to do this through wintertime? Yeah. So it was good through the summer, and then God had a plan, and the plan was... uh, in the wintertime, I'm going to introduce you to Hope Communities, which I had no idea, um, who has a classroom in the heart of the refugee community mm. and that's just sitting vacant. And they're, so they became our new partner. Fantastic. So we were able to still keep our office but not teach English there and move our English program into a community that was a legit classroom. And we, mm-hmm. we went from seven students to 20 students. Mm. And then that classroom that we had seven students in became a storage facility for the dental equipment that Mm -hmm. we had been given but we had no idea what we were going to do with yet yeah so
0: can i ask you a question a lot of people when they start something new especially like an organization do you have hopes for it becoming big or were you okay with it just being those seven people if it was going to be seven people for the next 10 years what did that feel like to you i know you kind of want to reach more people and you want to help as many as you can but that. like you just said, you didn't know Hope, um, what was the Hope name? Hope Communities. Hope Communities was coming to to your rescue at that yeah. time. So how did you deal with that um, psychologically and emotionally?
1: Yeah, so that's a good question. It leads to something I almost forgot about. Um, I remember sitting on the back porch getting ready to go work at a restaurant. And I was really kind of getting burned out on it in the, the routine of all this stuff during the day and like getting frustrated. I just... Want to be able to do this full-time mm-hmm. and Carolyn said hey are you gonna be okay if you're a volunteer the rest of your life
0: mm.
1: and I'm like yeah I am I'm gonna be okay with that because mm-hmm. um, this is what I love doing yeah. so it got put on my heart that night at work I got an email from an individual uh, who had believed in me and invested in me and I had no idea what was working behind the scenes and said hey uh, I, you can put your notice in at the restaurant because I've secured at least two years of funding to cover what you were making at the restaurant for you to step away and uh-huh. focus on Project Worthmore, more. And that's when things really began to gain traction. And I put my notice in, I was able to step away and really focus and not have to be scrambling all over the place. And, uh-huh. and But I had no idea. That it would end up where it is today. Zero. So no. you were
0: willing for it to be small for I was willing long for
1: it, it to take- be small. I was willing for it to be whatever it needed to be as long as we were able to touch some people's lives and help some people.
0: That's very encouraging to hear. And I, I failed to ask us yeah. at the beginning how did you come up with a name Project Primer? Yeah.
1: So the first family who we're still connected to today, um, his name's A Thong and her name's Sui Hao. Um, they are from ethnic group Chin from Burma. He said through Translator one day, he was like, he's my age, so at that time he was 30, I've been doing this 10 years, so he was 36, 35, and um, he said, I'm worthless. I have a fourth grade education from the jungle. Mm -hmm. Um, There's nothing I I can contribute to here. And I'm like, that's not not accurate, you know. Mm -hmm. You can say you came here for your kids, but you're young enough to have come here for yourself as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where the name... Okay. Um, worth Project more. Worth more. You're worth more than that. You're worth more than what you think. Mm. And uh, and it's true for all for all of them. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, they all are like, why did we do this? Why didn't we just stay where we were? Yeah. It's like, give it some time. Give it some patience.
0: Yeah.
1: And here we are, you know, ten February 2nd. We'll hit our 10-year anniversary. And all the
0: things you accomplish now are the dental clinic. You have ESL classes. Don't you have a farm?
1: Yeah, so we have. And what I love mostly is that there's a lot of things I love about what we do. (laughs) But we just have awesome partners. Like, I think what says a lot is, like, when you've got, at the beginning, you know, you've got all these big entities that are, like, who is this Frank Anella? Who is this Project worth more coming in here? Mm-hmm. Are they just a fly-by-night group of people that are trying to do some things? And, mm-hmm. and, you know, how legit is what they're doing? And now I can say 10 years later, it's like, we are, we're partners with Emily Griffith Technical School, and they partner Excellent. with us in our English program. Uh, we partner with Denver Urban Gardens and have been around for years mm-hmm. in the farming program. Um, we have partnerships with the University of Colorado's dental program. Um, we have partnerships with Community College of Denver. We have partnerships with Emily Griffith's Technical School in regards to our dental assisting program. Well, the farming
0: so, it strikes me as super important, especially for some of the older refugees who yeah. come, because that's been their whole life. So Absolutely. to be able to put what they know, their experience in their life to work, is something that a lot of people around here don't necessarily consider very important, but what actually is very important, yeah. I'm so glad you have that.
1: And all those relationships that I had, from working in the restaurant industry for 12 years, um, and the people that I met by being outgoing, personable, mm-hmm. um, they are all connected to Project Worth. That's wonderful. Like Denver Urban yeah. Gardens, the farm. 15 years ago, Project Worth didn't even exist. Uh-huh. Um, I was managing a restaurant, Denver Urban Gardens. I would learned about their Community Support Act CSA membership mm-hmm. and my wife and I decided to become CSA members at Delaney Community Farm. And that day we went out there, there was a drum circle, the opening first harvest, and it was um, an African group there and it ended up being the Somali Bantu tribe cool. who were refugees. And they're drumming and dancing and uh-huh. next thing I know, I'm, you know, I'm managing a restaurant, I'm a CSA member, and they were like, hey, would you like to be up to buy produce? from the Somali Bantu, and help support them growing food for the community. I was like, sure, that'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. I'd love to support that. Mm-hmm. So that was 15 years ago. There was no Project Worth More. Uh-huh. I had no idea about refugees. Uh-huh. I had no faith at that time. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, Project Worth More comes around. Um, I'm working with this family in 2009 as a sponsor, uh-huh. and it's the end of the growing season, and I'm like, huh. We should go out to Delaney Community Farm, mm-hmm. see if they have food left in the field that we could grab for families. So went out there, started doing that. And then all of a sudden, 2015, 16, they're like, Are you guys interested? And re- we're interested in starting the refugee program again because they stopped it. Oh. And they approached us, and here I am now with Project Worthmore. That's great. And now we run Delaney Community Farm, and now we employ... Um, five farmers, um, two from Somalia, two from Congo, one from Burma. And one, his name is Hamadi, was part of the initial Somali Bantu 15 years ago.
0: Oh, wow. Full circle.
1: Who, when they 15. stopped working with the Somali Bantu, uh-huh. just stayed a volunteer. He, he loved farming so much. He went out to the farm every year. Oh, my goodness. And then in, now he is in his third year with us actually getting paid. That's awesome. And now we're selling to restaurants, Uh and we're selling to Children's Hospital, Uh and we're selling to individuals throughout the city.
0: And that's so good for people to feel like they're actually contributing to something bigger, right? We all need that. I just It sounds like the connections you have and the other organizations that you partner with, it all flows from your same desire of we're just out here to help, not necessarily promote ourselves, but we're in promoting the refugees.
1: We're out here to help. We're out here to do things that really best serve them Mm -hmm. and to listen um, and to do things like I keep saying what are those barriers and like a prime example of why our English program I think was so successful was you have to have babysitting
0: yes you do. Mm -hmm. You have to
1: have that. You have to be willing to have an open enrollment. Mm -hmm. You have to be willing to have multiple levels Mm -hmm. available Mm -hmm. um, because Not everyone works 9 to 5. Most people who are working in factories or in refugees or hospitality are working graveyard shifts. They're working 12-hour shifts. Um, They have to take their kids to school. So what time are they taking their kids to school? Where are most of them working? Well, Crawford Elementary is one block from here. We know that they have to take their kids to school at 8.30. So we should start our classes at 9.00. We know that they have to pick them up at 3, so we should end our classes by Mm 2.30. We know that it's going to get in fall, it's going to get dark at 6 o'clock, so we probably should not have evening classes Mm -hmm. because it's not safe for them to be walking Mm -hmm. home at 7 o'clock at night, Mm -hmm. right? So you have to think about all those different things, and Mm -hmm. that's how we schedule things. Um, People are like, why do you have a dental clinic? There's so many dental clinics up and down East Colfax. Yeah, there are, but how many of them are willing to give refugees an opportunity to become exactly. a dental assistant. Exactly. Um, or those who were maybe former dentists in their home country, like Allah, who works for us, uh-huh. um, but can't be a dentist here until she gets into the CU program, but mm-hmm. can work as an assistant. How many refugees are going to feel comfortable going into a clinic that no one understands their language but when they walk into ours they see someone from burma they see someone from somali working at the front desk Mm -hmm. someone who understands what they've gone through yeah the relatability is huge Um, they can walk into our clinic and kick their shoes off whatever like we want to create a family environment Mm -hmm. but also a professional and healthy environment for people to have access to things
0: do you have any naysayers that or you just don't let the people who don't support you affect you. Um,
1: I mean, there's always going to be naysayers, um, but I think that uh, I know what we do. I know our heart. Where our heart is, mm-hmm. um, the heartbeat of the organization is to serve, to serve people where they're at, um, mm-hmm. and to bring people from all faiths, um, all backgrounds, to work together to for the common good of people. And that's yeah. why, like, we have staff from Iraq. Somalia, Sudan, Burma, India, Afghanistan, mm-hmm. Congo,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Rwanda. Like. And when you start to hire from the community, you will have a larger impact. Anyone can go out and hire someone with a master's in social work from DU, or you can hire someone with lived experience. Mm -hmm. And who is that client going to feel more comfortable with? Someone who's came from their same situation or someone who didn't. Don't get me wrong, people with MSWs are wonderful. Mm -hmm. But for the work that we do and the impact that we need to have, it's better to hire from within the community. You're also giving Mm -hmm. that person an opportunity, a career opportunity as well. I learned that me going to visit a family in a home and trying to understand what their needs are isn't going to be beneficial versus me bringing someone from that community into the home, and that's where like community navigation came into play, yes. and having people from that community do those types of things, yes. and willing to change. We had such a huge focus. Everyone's like, "You guys just work with refugees from Burma." I'm like, "We did, we did at the beginning, but now we work with people from 26 different countries."
0: That's fantastic. That willingness to change it so, is a big deal. Like willingness to understand where you can do better, what you could learn more, who you can be more inclusive of. A lot of people get stuck in the, nope, this is our mission, this is what we're doing. It could be good and well-intentioned, but the more open you are, it sounds like the more rewards you have.
1: Yeah, you have to be careful with mission drift. Every organization has to. And it can be hard, um, especially in the times that we're in. And uh, over the last three years, we have definitely decided that we are going to serve not just refugees, but we are going to serve undocumented. Okay. We're going to serve um, people seeking asylum and realizing that they actually have it harder than anybody. So I wouldn't necessarily call it mission drift, but um, it's more of willing to to change people that you... Keep what you're doing, um, but adjust it to the new population that you're serving. Mm-hmm. And I think that's super important. That's why... Every so often, there's a new group of people that are coming in. It was Burma. Then it was people from Syria. Then it's people from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Mm-hmm. So, keeping what you do and do it well because you know that they all need it, but adjusting um, even some and realizing you got to hire from that community.
0: Yes. Well, so. most teachers have the phrase monitor and adjust, like the lesson Absolutely. to the class. And so, that seems like that's what you do also for your whole organization. Which yeah. is healthy. Um, so what is your best tip for making the world a better place?
1: Oh, it's an easy one. Like stop walking around with blinders on. Yeah. It's pretty simple. I mean we, li- we live in a country where um, people pull, up, pull their car into a garage and shut the door. They put a privacy fence in their backyard. They close the blinds when they're home and they walk around with blinders on. Yeah. And that is not the way to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. Um, I teach my kids, and I even told my staff this last week at a meeting. If there was ever a time to be outgoing and friendly, it's now. Say hi to someone. Greet that person on the corner. If you're on a run or if you're walking through the park, don't mm-hmm. ignore the person that you're walking by. Because a simple, hey, how are you? Have a great day can make a huge difference mm-hmm. in someone. That's my b- biggest tip is that do not be afraid of someone because of who they, what they look like. The reality is, is that we are all the same. We really are all the same.
0: So what are you thankful for? What are you the most thankful for?
1: I am thankful that God showed me a group of people that needed help. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm thankful for the ability to do what I do.
0: I can tell you have such a passion and a love for what you do. Oh, yeah. I can see the thankfulness in that as well. And your final question, what is your favorite quote?
1: why cross the ocean when you can cross the street is Ah, my favorite that's great and it's it's a simple thing and at the beginning this goes back to the beginning of this conversation when I said I thought I had to become a nurse and I thought my wife had to be a hygienist and we had to travel overseas but the reality is you just need to cross the street because those people have come to us Mm -hmm. and that is how we serve people Mm -hmm. is right here in our backyard. Mm -hmm. So why cross the ocean when you can cross the street?
0: That is the perfect ending to such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. (laughs) While Frank and I were talking, the quote that kept running through my mind when he was talking about all the ways that Project Worthmore works at building up the refugee community and all the people they serve was from the book The Help by Catherine Stockett. To remember the character Abilene and how she's in charge of the young May Mobley who never hears such encouraging, beautiful words? And then Abilene tells her, baby, you is kind, you is smart, you is important. Reinforcing these beautiful ideas in people who have lost so much in their lives and come here feeling so worthless is of paramount importance. I am so thankful to Frank for his vision of creating a space and a community that does just that. Frank actively works to give refugees the best opportunity in life they can possibly have. He realizes that being forced to flee their country of origin does not make them less of a person. The circumstances they face in life grew a compassion in his heart, and birthed an organization with a vision to empower as many refugees and immigrants as possible. He purposefully finds ways to help refugees use the skills they already possess to help contribute to the community, which is all any of us hope to do. Thank you for listening to Gramercy. Remember, there is no them, just us. See you down the road.